to this material is, is help us learn how we can move conversations forward. Um, and we're still going to be imperfect vessels, right? That's just the reality of that uh, we're going to be imperfect vessels. Let's keep moving forward. Um, he challenges their unbiblical worldview. He says, oh, I see that you're religious. You've even got something to the unknown God. Well, now I'm going to tell you something. And he's challenging their worldview in the midst of that. And it's very brief, but it's there. Right? It's, it's very, very brief, but, but it's there. Yeah, he's, he's teaching them that uh, they are acknowledging a certain level of ignorance. Now, not everybody in our culture will acknowledge that level of ignorance. In this case, there was someone who was acknowledging a level of ignorance, and so he was capitalizing upon that. Your knowledge is insufficient. Let me tell you more. I'm, I'm going to demonstrate that what you're trusting in is insufficient, so he's going to expand upon that. And from there, as he challenges as he begins to critique the unbiblical worldview he asserts the ultimate authority so now we're seeing a flip side okay there's the unbiblical worldview there's there's that going on i'm challenging that and now i'm asserting truth what you therefore worship as unknown i proclaim to you i'm 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 declaring something to you i'm asserting truth to you and then he's going to go into a, uh, a passage, several verses, where this is what's called pushing the antithesis. So when there's an antithesis, there's someone has a, a concept, they have a belief, they have a thesis about something, they're believing something. Well, then there's other ideas that contradict that idea. There's the antithesis. There's the, it's maybe not always the opposite of that, but it's something different that challenges that thesis, that challenges that viewpoint. And he's going to push the antithesis. He's going to say, no, you're believing this, I'm critiquing it, and now I'm declaring truth that counteracts and is contrary to what you believe. Let's read verses 24 through 27. Willie, you comfortable with picking that up?
begins to push the interpreter. All right, I'm, I'm going to tell you something about this God. I'm, I'm asserting the ultimate authority. I declare this to you. This is what God has said about himself. This is how he has revealed himself. This is who he is. He contradicts much of what the Athens believe is true about the world, and he boldly speaks from biblical revelation what is true about God. God is the creator. He has made all things. All these, these Greek mythologies, nope. It's not accurate. It's not true. It's not the way it's come about. No. God is the one who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth. This is who he is. He is independent. He's not served by human hands. He's, he, he, he doesn't dwell in, in, in a mere temple made by man, right? It's, he is the one who gives life to man. Man doesn't give life to God, right? If, if, if mankind didn't fashion idols, the idol the physical representation wouldn't exist, right? There, there would be no Buddha if someone didn't make him out of whatever they're making him out of. There would be no statue of Zeus if someone didn't carve that out of stone. These things had to come about through human hands, but God is not that way. Pushing the antithesis. He's, he's challenging their worldview. He's showing that, no, this is actually what is true. God is sovereign. He has, he has made every nation and mankind to live on the face of the earth. God is the one who has determined the periods of time that these nations would exist and their boundaries, their dwelling place, their, their borders. God is the one who has set all that up. We find in the Old Testament a statement from the book of Daniel. God is the one who raises kings up and sets them down. It is God who is sovereign over all these things. And he says in verse 27 that mankind should feel after God. The idea that man should feel after him as the idea of the idea of feeling after. Okay, well, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. It says they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him. That idea of feeling their way toward him has the idea of blindly groping around in the dark. So I ever played those games where you have to be blindfolded and try to find someone like Marco Polo or something. You know, you're trying to blindly fi- find your way. You're feeling around. Uh, we used to play a game um, on the playground. We call it, we, I don't know why we called it this. It was called Cherry Cherry, where you, everybody would be up on the playground set, and there's someone who's supposed to be blindfolded, and they're, they're feeling their way along the playground set. And we're, we're talking about all the things that playgrounds have, like the monkey bars and the, yeah. Yeah, there's all the things. And they're trying to find somebody and catch somebody. Well, of course, the playground set has multiple parts, and as you get close to somebody, they're going to try to jump off and get to the next part. Well, if the person who's blindfolded says, cherry, cherry, while anyone's on the ground, they lose. Kind of like the floor is lava, yeah. Well, they're in the process that you're blindly groping your way along, you're trying not to die on the playground set as you're blindfolded and all this stuff, trying to find what you're seeking after. So here we have man feeling after God in the dark, but they're never able to come to a true knowledge of God apart from his self-revelation. And so they're just left blind, groping along in the dark. And there's some debate about this verse, that they should seek God, perhaps find their way towards him. Uh, some people understand this, this, uh, this kind of like an intentional blindness. So we see in Romans chapter 3, it says no one understands, no one seeks after God. Second Peter chapter 3 speaks of mankind deliberately overlooking key information and being willfully blind to truth. 
And so it seems that like Paul is, is, is kind of almost illustrating the fact, you know, God is knowable. You don't have to grope along in the dark, but this is what you're doing. This is what you're doing. And now he's going to get to a point where he's going to illustrate his point. So he pushes the antithesis, and now we see he's illustrating the point in verses 27 and 28. He says, okay, you're feeling after God, you're trying to find him, but he's not that far away. You're groping along in the dark as if you're trying to find something, but he's actually rather near. And then he quotes two Greek philosophers. Now this is something that almost might come as a surprise, but what Paul is doing is he is appealing to something within the culture that people would latch a hold of, that they would identify and say, oh yeah, I have heard of that. I do know something about that. And so he says here, in him we live and move and have our being. Right? That was a quote from one philosopher. And then even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. He illustrates the point that he is trying to make based off of something that some of their pagan philosophers have already said. God is not that far away. In him we move, live and move and have our being. There's, there is something to this idea. He's not that far away. So he pulls from the culture, quoting these two philosophers, to illustrate the point that he's making. And then he's going to say in verse 29, Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. So he says, okay, you, someone, one of your poets said we are his offspring. Well, there's truth to that. And if we are his offspring, well, then why are we thinking that God would be made out of rock? It doesn't make sense. And so he, he, he pulls truth even from their worldview in order to illustrate something. I like to do this with, uh, with, guy, with Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson, obviously. No, no, no. He's, this is a, he's a... Uh, He's a psychologist. He's a, yeah. Jordan Peterson is a psychologist. He's a Jungian psychologist. Um, morning. Long time no see. Yeah. Have a seat. Yeah. <laughs> Grab a seat. We're almost done with our lesson this morning. Um, so so uh, Jordan Peterson has... He's got his book, 12 Rules for Life, and then he's got a follow-up book, 12 More Rules for Life. There are things within Jordan Peterson's framework and the way he thinks about things that I think there are elements of truth within that. And there are times with certain individuals that I'm speaking to that I will, hey, I know you like Jordan Peterson. He says this. There's truth to that. Let me tell you why it's true. And then I go to the biblical text and speak the point. Now, it's... There's, there's a fine line to be walking with this because we don't want to tacitly endorse you know, these individuals that have unbiblical worldviews, and that includes Jordan Peterson. He has a very unbiblical worldview in many ways, and so we want to be careful. But when there are contact points, when I can illustrate truth, like you, even your psychologists believe this. Like, I'm telling you what's true from God's word, and even your people believe, like, e even your secular individuals have recognized truth from the word of God. 
Even Jim believes this, right? <laughs> right? And so I can illustrate truth from God's word using things that the culture already embraces as truth. And so that's what Paul does. He illustrates his conclusion. God's not like us. We were created, but God is not. He's not an image formed by our, our imaginations, but rather he is the almighty God. Just to wrap things up, because we really are kind of out of time here, um, he gets to a point where he now, he challenges them, okay, I'm, I've given you truth, and now there's a response that is required. There's a statement of grace and accountability. The times of ignorance, verse 30, the times of ig- ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Now that phrase, the times of ignorance God overlooked, that, this doesn't mean that God's just kind of sweeping sins under the carpet. That's, that's not what's going on there. There's, it's a statement of God's forbearance with humanity, God's forbearance with humanity in, in, in the time that humanity was waiting for the coming Messiah who would establish, and, uh, establish the means of salvation. There was a period, a period of time of grace that came through the people of Israel. But now... There is, a t- there is a point of decision that has to be made. Now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Not only is there a statement of grace, but there is a statement of accountability. Because, in verse 31 he says, He has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. There's accountability that we all have. We recognize that as we come before God... We have to give an account to him. We have obligation to our God. And so there's a call for a response. He has commanded all people everywhere to repent. That is what you must do. In light of the information I have just given to you, you must repent. So Paul, is, he, he gives this masterful uh, apologetic address. He identifies points of contact within the culture challenges the unbiblical worldview, asserts the ultimate authority, pushes the antithesis, illustrates his point, states the grace of God, the accountability that we have before him, and calls them to a response to the information that has been presented. Just to wrap this up, we're over time a little bit, but there's the response of the people in verses 32 through 34. Now, when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Right, some people are just going to outright reject the message. Sorry, there's, there's more. <laughs> some people outright, this is to your point, uh, Phil, earlier about how there's some people that, oh, what's this babbler talking about? There, some people will mock the message, right? We're going to have conversations with people, and they're going to make fun of it. I've encountered that. I'm sure you guys have as well. It's a reality. But others said, we will hear you again about this. Some were giving consideration to it. Some are intrigued by it. Some are thinking about it. Some need more time to consider it. There's a statistic out there, and I don't know how accurate it is. I don't know where the statistic came from, but it gets repeated a lot, so I'm going to say it. I don't know if it's true. (laughs) But the statement goes that it takes an average of seven gospel presentations before someone is ready to come to a point of decision for or against where it's a 
more or less a definitive decision. It is, you know, when you're the first person where it's like, you, that's where we have the concept of planting seeds, right? And you're hoping others, I planted a polished water, but God gives the increase. Right? We hope that that will happen with other individuals over time. Well, we don't know who and when and how often and all these different points. Some need more time to consider things. The Holy Spirit's working in different ways and within different people. But there are times where we have the wonderful responses that we see in verse 33 and 34. So Paul went out from their midst in verse 34. But some men joined him and believed. Amen. Among whom were also Dionysius, the Areopagites, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Some embraced the truth. Apologetics in action. Paul giving this masterful address challenging the unbiblical worldview, seeking to take every thought captive, but giving a reason for the hope that is within him with gentleness and respect. See, even though Paul's spirit was provoked, he didn't fly off the handle, he didn't get angry. He reasoned, he provided a logic, he challenged, like he, he didn't sugarcoat anything. Like he was very direct. You are accountable to God. He did so graciously, with gentleness and respect. And through that, we see a variety of responses. I hope this is helpful for us as we think about our apologetic methodology, applying some of the principles. And I hope that as we've gone through this, that maybe your mind was going back to some of the principles we covered in previous weeks. Like, oh, yeah, I see uh, the point there. Uh, there's the creator-creation distinction in Romans. Uh, uh, there's there's the, the point of contact. Oh, we see... Uh, this gentleness and respect. We see these different uh, challenging unbiblical worldviews, taking every thought captive. All those things, principles applied in this one text in Romans or Acts chapter 17. Yep. that into a word? I'll have to think about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It takes practice. It, it's something that's... Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Absolutely, it's it, it it provides a good flow yeah. that you're and and you may not even get to all of these things in one conversation, right? This is trying to challenge us to think how can we move the conversation forward and be productive. Exactly, yeah, to get to a point where we're sharing the gospel, we're calling for that response of repentance of faith in Jesus Christ. So I'll I'll work on that. I'll I'll think about that if there's a way to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I I capisk is not the is not the most rolling off the tongue thing. <laughs> so yeah, I'll I'll work on that. For now, we're gonna bow in prayer we're over time.
But um, I hope it's helpful for us just as we continue to think through how we can have productive conversations, moving the ball forward as we get to applying truth that we know from God's word to challenging people to trust in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, this passage in Acts 17, how Paul powerfully uh, challenged the Athenians and how you worked mightily uh, to bring people to salvation through that time. Lord, even though there were naysayers, even though there were mockers, you still used Paul in this moment to bring people to faith in Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would work within us. Give us the words to say. Give us the, the wisdom and the knowledge to be able to to have productive conversations with individuals, to move the ball forward with individuals, that we may see people come to faith in Christ. Lord, may we be sensitive to opportunities. May we speak with gentleness and with respect. May we honor you as we have our apologetic conversations. We thank you once again. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.